and for leading us in worship. Now, when I was growing up, my dad had an interesting way to kind of summon us from playing out in the yard. And we'd be like over at the neighbor's house, and we'd be down at the, the swing set, and I'd be hanging out with my friends, and my sister would be there. And all of a sudden, we'd hear, great acoustics in here for that noise, too. And uh, my friends would look around, and they'd be like, is that some kind of weird police siren? What is that? And I'd be like, I gotta go home. It's time to go home. And I'd grab my sister, and we'd go home. And uh, that was fine when I was a little kid, but I became a teenager, and I'd be in the mall on the other side of the mall, and my dad'd be ready to go, and you'd hear across the mall, and I'd be like, oh my goodness, dad, you know, and my friends would be like, what is that? I'm like, nothing. Just pretend you don't hear it, you know? It's nothing. Um, and I was so embarrassed. I mean, it just frustrated me. It drove me crazy. And I remember my grandmother, she used to drive up to my house. And it wasn't like we lived real close to her, but she'd drive over, she'd park in the driveway, she'd come in her front door, my mom would be cooking in the kitchen, she'd go over to my mom, poke her on the side and say, Melvina, you sure are getting fat. And then she'd turn around and get in her car and drive out. And this was her mom to her daughter, you know? So sometimes as families, right, we really frustrate each other. Sometimes families have a way of getting underneath of our skin like nobody else. No one can frustrate you or bother you quite like a family member because no one knows you as well as a family member, right? And you probably are thinking about some things that some family members have done to you. Maybe you had that mom who would come in and poke you. Maybe you had uh, that dad who would just embarrass you and do these things. Families can be very frustrating. And as we look at relationships and how we should respond to relationships in our lives, one of the things we have to think about is this family relationship, and the Apostle Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter 6. So that's where we're going to be tonight. We're going to talk first of all about families, and then in the second part of the passage, he talks about our role in the workplace. And so Ephesians 6, starting in verse 1, it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. You want to talk about one of those verses that I wish we could just throw out sometimes. You know, there's sometimes where my parents have told me things and I'm like, I don't want to do that, you know. But it says, obey your parents because this is right. Honor your father and mother. That might be harder than obeying them sometimes is actually honoring them. Because sometimes I do what they'd say, but I'd be like, stupid parents, they don't know what they're talking about, you know, underneath your breath. He says, this is the first commandment that comes with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. And then it flips to parents and it says, fathers, parents, don't stir up anger in your children but bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. You'll notice the first thing it says here is to obey your parents because this is right. And then it says, honor your father and mother. Why should you honor them? Why should you respect them? Should you do it because they're always worthy of respect? No. It doesn't say honor them when they're due honor or when they should be honored. It says always honor them. <clears throat> Always give them respect. And we do that not because they deserve it, but because of who asks us to do it, right? If we respect God, we'll do what he says. And he says, do this. But then he also throws in like this extra caveat here. And he says, this is a command where there's a promise attached. And he says, if you disrespect your parents, don't expect to have a long, nice life. I'm like, man, God, did you have to attach that to it? Did you have to tie that in with respecting your parents? So when we complain about our parents, when we talk poorly about our parents, uh, when we undermine them, and you say, Alex, you don't understand, my parents are idiots, or my parents are jerks, or my parents have done awful things, that 
doesn't mean that we don't have to respect them. And you say, well, Alex, I'm an adult now and my parents still want to run my life. It doesn't say your parents get to run your life the rest of your life, but it does say you need to respect them. Um, not because they deserve it, but because God asks us to. And really, families are the first place that we learn to forgive. Families are the place where we learn to forgive other people. If you don't learn to forgive your family, you will never learn to forgive other people, and you'll actually struggle to forgive yourself as you go through life. See, families are going to hurt you first in the world. They're going to be the first people to hurt you deeply, to cut you in places where uh, no one else knows you have a weakness. And if you don't learn to forgive them, you'll struggle with forgiveness the rest of your life. And so why do we forgive people? <clears throat> Excuse me. Sometimes I talk to people and they say, Alex, I can't forgive this person because they don't deserve to be forgiven. I remember this lady came up to me one time. She said, I can't forgive this person. They don't deserve it. I was like, no one who needs forgiven deserves to be forgiven, right? If they deserve to be forgiven, they wouldn't have done anything wrong. Everyone who needs forgiveness doesn't deserve it. And you don't forgive people because they've deserved it or they've earned it. You do it because God has asked us to forgive. So we show respect to our parents. We forgive our siblings. We forgive our parents. We forgive our family members, not because they deserve it, but because God has asked us to forgive. And notice here at the end, it says, fathers... And I think it's interesting you says fathers because I feel like mothers don't stir up as much anger sometimes in their children as fathers. But really, it's really for both parents. Don't stir up anger in your children. Now, notice it doesn't say kids, don't stir up anger in your parents. You probably shouldn't do that, right? It's going to be bad for you. But it recognizes that kids sometimes are going to be kids. Sometimes they're going to be challenging. Sometimes they're going to be annoying. But it says parents need to act like adults and not stir up their kids. So my dad found out that I didn't like him going, Baruch, Baruch, when I was 16 years old in the mall, you know, hanging with my friends. So my dad started a new thing. Um, my dad, I talked to him, I got to see him this week. My great aunt passed away in Pittsburgh. And so that's sad, but him and my mom were up. So I got to see him and I was talking to him and he was asking how things were going with the church. He says, I can't listen to your sermons because he says, every time you talk about me, you say something bad about me. That's not true. This is true. And I think that he would attest to this. But anyways, he knew I got sick of him going, baruch, baruch. so he started this new thing. I'm 16 years old, you know, trying to be cool, trying to fit in in the world. And uh, my dad would come up to me and he'd go, we're out in public, we're at church, we're at the mall, I'm hanging with my friend. He'd go, snorkel. Where did this come from? What does that mean? I don't know. But, but my dad would stir up anger in me, okay? So don't do that to your kids. Okay, don't put your fist up to your nose and say snorkel. Um, and he thought it was hilarious. We did not think it was hilarious. So what should you do as parents, as, as older people investing in younger people? He says, he gives us two things. Bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Yes, it's important to teach our kids how to drive and how to write and how to get jobs. But even more importantly is to teach them how to live and love like Jesus. To train them. Now, it's one thing to say something, but children learn much more by what they see than what you say. And so it is living and exemplifying a livable Christianity where you live and love like Jesus. Now, Paul here switches gears and he talks about, you know, you can't choose your family besides maybe your spouse. Everybody else in your family, you can't choose. You're just stuck with them, right? The other group of people that you're stuck with and that you can't choose most of the time are your co-workers. 
And uh, he talks a little bit about this, this um, interaction between workers and masters, between employers and employees in verses 5 through 9. So let's look at that. In Ephesians 5 through 9, it says, Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, do God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. And masters, treat your slaves the same way without threatening them because you know that both their master and your master is in heaven and there's no favoritism with him. Now, he's talking about slaves and masters. There were millions of slaves when the early church started in the Roman Empire. Um, there's these wide estimates, but you know, some people make it as low as 6 million slaves and then some just go up into the tens of millions of slaves in the Roman Empire. And there were all kinds of variety of slaves. There were some who would work for a certain portion. They would have a debt and they would say, I'm going to be a slave for five years to work that off. There were some who were taken in wartime and were lifetime slaves. There were slaves that were treated well and actually became members of the household. And there were slaves that were treated very poorly. Um, but in really, I think the best application that we can draw today, as much of the church with this mix of people who worked for very little and um, worked for masters who sometimes didn't always have their best interests at heart um, in the early church, I think the best application for us today is to look at the idea of being an employer and an employee. Now, has anyone ever seen that movie, Office Space? A few people. No one has seen any of the good movies I mentioned, but you've seen Office Space? Office Space is a horrible movie. Um, so remember in there, there that guy, the boss is always coming by and he's like, you get those TPS reports done? You know, you get those reports done, and he's like super annoying about it, and the guy just finally snaps, and he's like, stupid reports, you know, and he burns the place down and goes crazy. Um, so when I worked at an insurance company down in Tennessee, I was an associate pastor, but then I was also working a full-time job, there was these reports we would have to do, and they were so stupid. They were the dumbest reports in the world. So we would have to accumulate this information, put it into a report, submit it to the manager, the manager would say it was good, and then we'd have to put it into the system. And I'm like, why do we have this stupid report? Why don't I just give you the information, you approve it, and I already have it in the system. Let's just get rid of this stupid piece of paper. They're like, no, we need that report. And it has some real stupid acronym, you know. And I, and there was a group of us in the, um, the company, we were like, we're not doing this report. So we'd send them the information, they'd approve it, and we'd already have it in the system. As soon as approved, we hit send. Um, and I was like, I hate these reports, I won't do them. And I had a really horrible attitude about them. When, in actuality, what was it taking? Probably maybe a couple extra seconds of my day, but it was this principle, right? How dare they ask me to do something so stupid? And I, I think a lot of times we get into our jobs and we start thinking like, these people are idiots. And I don't know about you, but a lot of the people I've worked for, it seems like over the years, I'm like, how is this person alive, let alone my boss? You know, these people are idiots. Um, it's going to be great. Now, not only will my dad not watch my sermons, but nobody I ever worked with before this. Um, but notice what he says. He says, obey your human masters in the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. And so what Paul is saying here is when you work a job, when you do something for someone, do it as if Jesus was there and he showed up and he asked you to fill out that report. 
I think if Jesus showed up at my door and he says, Alex, will you fill out this stupid report for this insurance company? I'd be like, sure, Jesus, I'd love to do it. Thank you so much. You know, but when it's my boss saying it or somebody else, I'm like, I don't want to do that. They don't know what they're talking about. Jesus knows what he's talking about. This guy doesn't. But he says, Jesus wants us to work as if we were working for him and not for people. And he says in verse 6, he says, you shouldn't only work when you're being watched. But you should work as if you're a slave of Jesus Christ doing his will. Now, isn't there always the tendency you work a little bit harder when somebody's watching? So um, last summer, I worked with this organization called World Changers, and they bring young people from all over the country, and they bring them to cities and let them work on urban projects. And uh, I was helping them out around the Philly area. And there was this team up from North Carolina, and it was a bunch of youth, you know, ages probably... 13 to 17, you know, and they were pretty lazy. And so they were working on a project and they were barely doing anything. And then word got out, the local news crew was going to come by and be there because they were working on this community project. That news crew pulled up and all of a sudden these were the hardest working kids you ever thought. You know, they're like going to town. They've got sweat on their brow. They're putting dirt on their face. And I'm like, huh. Now that they're going to be on TV, all of a sudden they get a little bit of drive. But aren't we like that? Like when people are watching us, when people are going to affirm us, Jenny's like, I'm not like that. I just work. I do all the work all the time. That's good. We should be like that. We should be just working hard all the time. Now nobody's like, I'm not going to make any head movements or he'll call me out in the service. Um, but many times I work harder if I know people are watching than if people aren't watching but what he's saying is, he doesn't want us to just look good in front of other people. He wants us to actually become hard workers. He wants us to actually be slaves of Christ, to actually do God's will from our heart and in our lives with our hands. And so notice next he says in verse 7, serve with a good attitude, ask to the Lord and not to people. Now this is something I struggle with. And many times I'll work hard, I'll get the thing done, I'm all about accomplishing tasks, but... Don't ask me to have a good attitude about it. You want me to do something stupid? I'll do it, and I'll get it done, and it'll be done right. But I'm going to complain about it, and I'm going to criticize it, and I'm going to mumble under my breath, and I'm going to undermine ever doing it ever again. And he doesn't leave any room for this. He says we should have a good attitude while we're working, while we're doing things. And um, so what's his whole point here? Yeah, well, before we get to his point, we'll flip over to what he says to the masters of the slaves. And what was unique about the Christian church is we know that the early church included both people who were slaves, people who were free, and people who were masters of slaves. And so sometimes you had the master and the slave coming to the same church meeting. Now, it's one thing to come to church with your boss. Could you imagine coming with your master and you're a slave? The only thing that could bring you together is Jesus. And here's what Paul says to the masters. You should treat your slaves the same way that you want them to work for you. You should treat them with a good attitude. You should treat them as if you're working for Christ. And it says here that you shouldn't threaten them. If you're over people where you're in a supervisor role, don't threaten people, he says. But treat them the way that you want them to treat you. And it says that you should recognize that both your master and their master is actually Jesus. One of the things I have to remember, right, when I tell people or ask people to do something is, um, I'm going to have to answer for that. I'm going to have to answer to Jesus. Ultimately, all of us are going to have to answer to Jesus, not to each other. 
And so if we're going to give someone else a command or an instruction or tell them to do something, we better be certain that we're telling them the right thing because ultimately we're answering to Jesus. And he adds this point here at the end that I think is so interesting because doesn't this happen a lot? It says, and there should be no, there is no favoritism with God. And so he's telling masters, don't have favorites. Employers, supervisors, don't have favorites. Don't have that person that you think, oh, they're a little bit better. You know, they're my favorite. They're the one that I'm going to make things a little bit uh, easier on or better for. But he says, don't be like that because God's not like that. And I just want to stop for a minute and think about that. God doesn't have favorites. God doesn't look down and say, man, you've never missed a service. You're one of my favorites. You've faithfully given to the church. You're one of my favorites. You've shared the gospel and the good news of Jesus with everybody. You're one of my favorites. God generously gives good to us all. And he's not like, ah, Darby's one of my favorites. I'm going to make things extra good for her. You know, he just loves everybody. He has no favorites. He's good to everyone. And so we should be that same way um, inside our businesses, inside our workplaces. We should have good attitudes, no favoritism, and we should work as if we're working for Christ. Now, why is this? Why does Paul tell us to do this? Well, really, because the workplace gives us a unique opportunity to reveal the gospel. The workplace is beautifully set up to allow us interactions with other people so that we can reveal the gospel. So what is the gospel? The gospel literally means good news, the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus came into the world. We weren't good enough to reach God on our own, and so he came down to us. He died in our place. We all have this destructive thing inside of us called sin. We have a tendency to be selfish, to want our own way, and seeking our own way usually leads to a breakdown in relationships with other people and relationships with God. But instead of punishing us, instead of uh, destroying us for this evil inside of us, instead God came down and sacrificed his son in our place. And so God showed us grace. Grace is undeserved good. When we deserve something bad to happen, God did something good uh, in spite of that. And so when we are in a workplace, not only do we have opportunities to talk about Jesus, but we also get to reveal the gospel or we get to show grace. All the time when I was at the insurance company, there would be opportunities where I'd see where somebody made a mistake and I was like, I could so totally bust them for this. You know, I could go over to the boss and be like, look, Sally messed up again. You know, but instead what I do, I just fixed it. And sometimes I'd go over to Sally's desk and be like, you know how to do this? Can I show you? Are you doing it right? You know, you, all the time there's opportunities that are presented where you can either try to get ahead or instead you can try to build a relationship with someone by giving them good when they deserve evil. And so the workplace uniquely creates some opportunities for us to reveal the gospel. And it allows us to build relationships with people so that we can not only talk to them about Jesus, but so that we can exemplify the same goodness that he's shown us to others. <clears throat> Ultimately, God rewards those who faithfully serve him and who do so to honor him and not to honor themselves. It says here that um, in verse 8, knowing that whatever each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. 
God ultimately honors whether, you know, if we get into a situation and we're pessimistic and we're complaining and we're criticizing, I think many times we, we reap the effects or the benefits of that. And if we get into a situation and we have a good attitude and we're working hard, we're not just working when people are watching, but we're working diligently all the time, God honors that and rewards that. It says we will receive this back from the Lord. So as we come to the end, what do we need to do tonight? There might be something where you need to forgive your family. You need to be like, man, these people are messed up, or they really hurt me, or these people are just weird who scarred me, or maybe these people, uh, maybe there's someone who did something, or someone who said something, or someone who has cut ties with you, or just hurt you over and over and over again. You need to forgive your family. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, if you have someone in your family who abused you and hurt you, that you go back and be like, hit me again. That's not what it means to forgive. But it means that you say, you know what, I'm not going to hold animosity and hatred against you. I'm still going to take precautions so that I don't go into that situation again. But I'm going to let go my need, my sense of I need vengeance against you. And I'm going to give that up. Until we learn to forgive our families, we're going to struggle to forgive other people in our lives and ultimately forgive ourselves. Maybe you need to think about your attitude at work. Um, this is something I need to think about as a pastor sometimes. There's something we need to think about when we're in our workspaces, something we need to think about when we're around our coworkers. What is your attitude at work like? Do you think of it as this is a unique opportunity to reveal Jesus to these people and to this place? Or do you think, oh my goodness, tomorrow's Monday and I'm going to go insane? And finally, think about how you can show grace in your relationships at work and at home. How can you show undeserved good to your siblings, to your parents, to your children, to your husband, to your wife, to the people in your family, to the people in your workplace? How can you show them good when they least deserve it? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge uh, with our families and with our workplaces that we, we exemplify you. We show love to those who sometimes don't deserve to be loved. We show forgiveness and undeserved good to those who many times don't deserve it. Lord, help us to love in our families. Help us to forgive in our families. And Lord, help us to live and lead like you in our workplaces. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.